can't turn the phone on recording, no? Well, looks like we're live, everybody. My name is Shane Ripley, host of uh, Mountain Crypto YouTube channel. Today we're on Facebook live streaming. We are going to talk about uh, XYO Network and talk with the founder and the architect, Ari Throw. Excuse me, said it wrong again. Um, yeah, Throat, Ari Throat, and uh, have an in-depth interview with him for as long as he can stay on, hopefully get some background on uh, his history. There's a lot of really great history. He started off uh, as an entrepreneur when he was just 10 years old. He started developing what was called the TRS-8D um, model and uh, then moved on to Atari, Apple, and PCO, uh, PC, doing programming and software, writing software, and uh, getting involved with a series of bulletin boards centering on game theory modification. Um, he is and has been a serial entrepreneur. He has helped with the success involving multiple eight-figure um, exit events. He believes in decentralization, and that's why uh, he's creator and innovator of, and also the founder of the XYO company in 2012. Um, also, he's the chief executive officer, chief financial officer, and chief operating officer, and chairman of the board of directors. And uh, let me just... Uh, get the podcast going here while we wait for people to start coming on. Let's see. All right. All right. Welcome everybody on the podcast. We are going to do an interview of XYO founder Ari Throw. Um, as we were talking on the live stream, he started off as an entrepreneur very early at the age of 10, um, doing programming and software development involved with such things as Atari, Apple, and PC. Um, helped open a lot of different companies and founded XYO Company. That's probably them right there. Hello, this is Shane. Awesome. Yeah, so if he goes to my Facebook, um, he's going to see the, the live stream, and then he's got to click on the live stream, and then I will be able to pull him in. Right, the link I sent you, the one that we tested yesterday. So you've got to actually click on the video and then your name will pop up and I will bring you into the video, which we've are and there probably is right there. So we'll do it. I'll see you in just a second. All right, here we go. Looks like we can bring him in live. One second, folks. Um, all 
should uh, pull. And we'll just wait. Hopefully, Ari will be with us shortly. And there you are. All right. Welcome. How are you doing today? Pretty good, Shane. How are you? I forgot I got to put my earplugs in. <laughs> can you hear me well? Or? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Yeah. All right. Um, I gave an introduction, basically, um, of uh, your background a little bit um, as far as what I found on the website. And um, what else? What else? What else? Let's just get right into it. Um, uh, you probably know a little bit about me. I'm the host of Mountain Crypto. My name's Shane Ripley. I live here in East County, and um, we do YouTube, podcasts, and um, we have a little ranch out here in the hills. So that's my background. We're family friendly, so we try to stay that way if possible. So we, we're watching your videos. I've been watching them. I'm a huge um, XYO um, supporter and follower. I have uh, my wife and I are part of the shareholders. And um, we also um, got in on the tokens when they opened up to the U.S. buyers with the uh, La Token website. And I see that now you're on KuCoin. So just so you know a little bit about us, we're big supporters. Um, I also do presentations in San Diego and I do a slide just on the XYO company. So we're very supportive. And we're really excited to learn more than just the basics. Um, we'd actually like to get to know the man behind the company. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, thanks very much for having me. So, um, yeah, okay, I would love to tell you whatever you want to know about myself or about the company um, and the whole uh, XYO uh, effort that's out there. So, um, yeah, I'm ready. I think I have a sheet here that, that Larry gave me that has some of the questions you have. Just go ahead and shoot. Uh, we'll, we'll give you an overview of this fine too. Okay, great. Um, yeah, if you can give me an overview, kind of, of uh, we know the basics. You you came from South Africa. So, you know, what was it like growing up there as a kid? Um, you know, what was your family like growing up with, what you could share with us? And, um, you know, what was some of your likes and things that drove you as a young man growing up? If you can give us a little background on that, I think it would be very interesting. Perfect, perfect. So, um, yeah, I was about seven when I moved to the United States. So, um, I do, you know, remember being in South Africa. I've obviously been back quite a few times. Most of my, my aunts and uncles and cousins live in South Africa still. So, um, we were actually an interesting family, um, coming to the United States because we were uh, Afrikaans speaking family. I did not speak English at all when I came to, to the United States in 1976. But uh, at that time, um, you know, an Afrikaans speaking family, which is kind of towards the, the height of the apartheid era, we were um, not uh, appreciated by a lot of the, the South African crowd for leaving at that point in time because we were uh, viewed more um, as abandoning South Africa and that sort of a thing. So we were kind of special uh, from a standpoint that we were one of the few Afrikaans-speaking families that emigrated to um, other countries at that point in time. Um, and so you know, coming to the United States was kind of a culture shock for me because you know, South Africa is obviously warm. I went to Cleveland, which of all places, you know, a lot colder than South Africa, a lot different as far as people go. I didn't speak you know, English at all. Uh, I went to Afrikaans school. I went, went to school barefoot, for example, in South Africa. And um, I, I, got, I was born in Pretoria. Uh, I go barefoot, but you wear a little uniform. So it's a little bit of a different different experience than the Cleveland schools, for example. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was a lot different. I didn't, you know, use computers or anything in South Africa. Of course, I was too young and computers weren't really a thing, uh, but 
uh, I guess the way I got into computers really was my father was a physician, so that's why he was a physician in South Africa, and then that's why we, when we moved to the States, he became a physician here as well. And so uh, he had a private practice in 1979, was when I was in third grade. We went to Radio Shack to learn how to use computers because he wanted to automate his, his, um, his practice, and I, you know, he's like, well, why don't you come along? And you can see what this computer thing's all about. And at that point, computers were very inaccessible. It's you know, it seems like it's pretty cheap because, uh, you know, a computer was a thousand dollars. You know, TRC Model One was a thousand dollars, but a thousand dollars in 1979 is different than a thousand dollars now. So it wasn't like every kid at home had a computer or that sort of a thing. So I went to Radio Shack once a week with them on Tuesdays and I learned how to program basic, but I was the only person who was a kid there. Everybody else was a business guy with a suit and everything. So, you know, I was very, very, you know, fortunate to be able to learn how to program and how to use computers in the seventies. Even though I was only seven years, or sorry, ten years old in third grade, I even took my computer to you know, school one time for show and tell. So that's kind of my, my background as far as coming here. Um, you know, beyond that, South Africa. You know, I was a child, so yeah, I played with sticks and, and mud and that sort right. of thing. But much more than I remember um, beyond that of South Africa from that era, at least. Now, obviously, you know, having gone back quite a bit, there's you know different different memories at that point in time. So that's kind of my my early life origin story, for lack of a better term, of uh, how I got into programming and how I got into computers. And then from there on, I became you know, uh, a, a little bit of a miscreant to some degree. I, I, I learned how to you know, crack games and, and do some, some you know, fairly naughty things with computers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, which actually helps, helps with your skill set a lot, ironically. I wasn't doing it for the purpose of becoming better at programming or better at that. I just wanted to cheat at the game or crack a game so I can copy it and that sort of thing. So I learned assembly language. Um, which was the only alternative to basic at the time. And then I ran bulletin boards. Um, you know, I, I was entrepreneurial, I suppose, from an early age because I you know, ran a multi-line bulletin board, which was probably one of the largest in Ohio for pirated software at the time as <laughs> <laughs> um, a 14-year-old or 13-year-old. So you know, it's kind of the entrepreneurial, potentially you know, South African roots. Um, my mom became an entrepreneur also after my parents got divorced. So that's also part of the influence as far as the entrepreneurship thing goes. Oh, so she did kind of influence you to to make your own way and, and that you could do anything kind of. I mean, were you inspired by her as a mentor to 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 break out and try things or how did that how were you encouraged maybe as a young person that you can reflect on? Well, definitely, definitely. I was never um, very astute at school. Uh, it was not a huge interest for me for some reason. Um, and both my parents, man, my father was a physician, but he had his own practice, so he was entrepreneurial in his own right in that direction. But then my mother uh, started a company called Zankin, which uh, provided uh, paraphernalia for video stores. Because at the time, video stores were really big. You had Blockbuster, you had all these different video stores and everything. So she made these little stickers that said, like, please be kind, rewind. And yeah, she sold cases to them and the little signs that say comedy or drama and all that sort of a thing. So yeah, she had quite a bit of success with that. So that was um, was quite, you know, quite educational for me, more so than school was, honestly, at that point. I even worked with her on a couple projects. I made a, a software program for her to be able to use the printer to print sequential numbers on labels so people could use those for inventory control for uh, tapes at uh, um, the rental shops. To be able to track which ones are going in and which ones are going out. So, you know, I, I had some experience there. I also, yeah, worked in the warehouse and you know, did some oh, of the wow. dirty work also as an entrepreneur. So, I realized, you know, that the hard work is a huge part of being an entrepreneur. It's not just all fun and games. Well, that kind of makes me think of one of the other questions is what other kinds of, you know, traditional, non traditional jobs did you have before you 
kind of found your way into the tech industry that, uh, you know, maybe some anecdotes or things that you, you picked up along the way? Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm kind of interesting as far as I think I'm very fortunate for most of my career. I've, uh, I would say I haven't worked a day in my life from the standpoint that I've always had jobs that I've really loved with the exception of some of my early jobs. Yeah, I've worked at a pizza shop when I was you know, a kid to pay for gas. I worked in you know, a couple of warehouses to be able to, to buy a computer as my TRC, or sorry, my Atari 800 that I bought in 1981, 82, around there. Yeah, I saved up $700 from working in a warehouse the whole summer. So, um, oh, yeah, then, yeah, that's sort of a, a hard stretch to be able to get things done. Uh, I worked in a video shop for a little bit, as you know, a pizza or a, a sub shop. So I did, you know, those normal, at the time at least, normal kid, kid jobs. You, know, you could start working at 13, 14, 15 years old back then. Nowadays, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, and then you know, after that, I, I actually did a little stint at Sears, actually, as a return guy for their catalog sales. But once I uh, went to college, I really could not get a job out of high school as a software developer because back then you really had to have a degree, uh, which was kind of unfortunate. Nowadays, you know, we hire people who are really good at what they do regardless of that sort of a thing. We have you know, a 17-year-old here who is doing sort of a blockchain development, which I wish, you know, when I was 17 years old, there were people who had the open mind to be able to understand that you know, that's something which is possible. So I ended up going to college, got my degree for the sake of being able to get interviews. And from then on, I worked at you know, startups and, and software companies, um, got a lot of great experience from you know, other entrepreneurs and saw that. But I, I really had a luxury of being able to choose jobs because I was in an industry which fortunately, at the time, was not really saturated and uh, there wasn't that many software developers, especially ones that were you know, 23, 24, 25 years old that had 10 years of software development experience. So. It's, uh, I, I kind of flourished. I really you know, chose some companies to go work for to get a lot of great experience and, you know, enjoyed every single job and you know, up to the point where I didn't enjoy it or I wanted to move on and then found a, a different place to go and enjoy it. So, yeah, as I said, I've been very fortunate. I really try to mentor people over the entrepreneurs or people I speak to to kind of do the same thing. It's like if you, if you can do what you love, you'll do a much better job at it. And if you're doing something for the sake of an outcome as opposed to for the journey, he just won't do as good of a job. So I feel that journey for me has been very, very uh, rewarding, even in the cases where I failed. It still was a great part of the journey. Yeah, definitely. You, you've hit on a few items that, you know, like you, you've learned about hard work. Um, you've learned to do more things that you love. Um, you've, you've been mentored. You mentored. And, and other things along the journey, I mean, that have helped you develop the values that you have. I mean, how would you kind of ex express your core values um, in your own words? That's actually a, a really good question. That's one of the things we're working on here right now in our um, internal company uh, wiki, where we're, we're expressing our company values, which are, are mainly based on you know, mine, Scott's, and Marcus's values, which are very, very much aligned. Or aligned. And um, a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, the, I would say the, the first few tenants are being present and being aware um, of your situation. Because I think a lot of people feel that they're, they have certain values, but they don't actually live them or they don't have the awareness to be able to, to reflect on themselves. So in some cases, they become hypocritical. So my goal is never to be hypocritical. And um, like, for example, if I ask someone to work hard, I, you know, I try to show them that I'm working even harder because you know, asking someone to work hard, but then not showing up for work or not 
not uh, working as hard as they do is is really difficult to lead that way. So that to me is one of the most important things: just being transparent, being genuine, doing what you love, um, doing you know, doing the right thing, doing good things. And um, if you do some of these those, those basic things, which seems obvious, it's actually a lot easier to succeed because now you got to work a lot harder on the thing which you want to do. You got got to you know do it because of genuine interest and genuine desire. That's one of the reasons why I started this company because. I had lost my interest and my edge from my previous startup, which was in the ad tech space. It was a good company as far as the outcome. It made money. You know, it wasn't a bad company, but I did not have any any personal interest in where the company was going at the point in time when I left. And I really, really want to build something that makes the world better as far as technology goes, data collection goes, data processing goes. And so, you know, really being honest with yourself and being being aware of People around you, your environment, your 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 own being is is very important from a, um, a value standpoint to me. Yeah, everything comes, everything that comes out is comes from within. That leads me into another question. Um, there's a lot of people that are into crypto that seem to be entrepreneurial minded. I'm finding um, in our presentations and just my conversations. And also, my viewpoint is, you know, how's this going to affect the kids of the future and things like that? What would be your advice uh, or just your thoughts toward, um, you know, being a mentor to younger people and entrepreneurials just from where, where your experience is and what you see looking forward? Well, I probably separate those into two different categories. There's the younger people and there's the entrepreneurials, right? So I wouldn't yeah. bundle them together necessarily. So for younger people, like one thing we do at our company right now is we uh, have what we call, call required learning. And I, I really want everyone at the company to always learn JavaScript, HTML, and CSS. Because the way I look at it is anybody who's a, you know, under 25 years old, this is a foreign language that you're going to speak, whether you like it or not, in the next 20 or 30 years. And if you don't, you're going to be effectively techno-illiterate. So even if a person's in accounting, for example, if they know HTML, JavaScript, and CSS, it opens their mind to a whole bunch of things and they understand how the internet works and they can do you know simple things like automate tasks using uh, Zapier or if this and that because they understand how web hooks work. And so making sure that you learn technical skills as a young person, even if you don't feel like you're gonna go into a technical field, is very, very important because every field now is a technical field, whether you like it or not. There is no non-technical fields. So to me, that's sure. the most important thing that young people should do. They should almost you know, ignore learning French or German or whatever it is as a foreign language and learn JavaScript as a foreign language, learn how to use computers, because that is the most important thing for a person to know their career. Now, for entrepreneurs, the, the biggest thing I tell people is make sure that you're an entrepreneur, because I meet a lot of people who think they're entrepreneurs, but they're not really entrepreneurs, because they're, they're entrepreneurs because their mom told them that you can make a lot of money as an entrepreneur. But they don't actually enjoy the entrepreneurial lifestyle because it's actually a, a pretty brutal lifestyle. People don't realize that it's not you know, everything you see in the social network. It's, um, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of failure. Uh, any entrepreneur that tells you that they've never failed either you know, been really, really lucky and has no idea why they succeed or is just lying to you. And how much you learn from failure is very, very, very valuable. But at the same time, it's very emotionally and potentially, you know, personally painful. It, it's not a, a pleasant experience, but it's something which makes you a much better entrepreneur. So somebody who's willing to, to take these risks and go out and try these different things and be okay with with learning through you know, brutal failure and pain 
you know, that if you enjoy that experience, which somehow entrepreneurs do, and myself, you know, I actually enjoy learning from failure in those cases. Not that I enjoy failure, don't get me wrong, I, <laughs> but I enjoy the, you know, the learning aspect of that. If you don't enjoy that as a, as a journey, then you shouldn't do it. It's almost like a person who wants to become a marathon runner but hates running. You know, if you want to, you know, you should enjoy the running and the training every single day and, and have a passion for that running. That's why you'll be a great marathon runner. It isn't because if you're only doing it because you want a gold medal in the Olympics, you'll never win. So make sure you enjoy being an entrepreneur before you become an entrepreneur. If you don't enjoy being, being an entrepreneur, go work for somebody. It's fine. You can become rich, you know, or you know, happy or however that is for you in a non-entrepreneurial role. So. So making sure you're an entrepreneur, I think, is the most important thing. And, and like you said originally, you found that when you were doing a, a nine-to-five job, so to speak, you weren't really happy. And, and when you find what you're happy at, it doesn't really matter how much money you're making. You know, um, sometimes it leads to more and sometimes it doesn't. So that's good, good sage advice. So it's been good getting to know a little bit about you and how you think and what makes you tick. Um, what do you think, uh, one more personal question, just like who's your biggest inspiration as at where you're at right now? And uh, then maybe we can go into XYO and whatever you'd like to tell us about what's going on with XYO, but your biggest inspiration. Well, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I, have, I would say you know, private inspirations and you know, more like public ones, if you would say you know, people who are famous versus people who aren't. You, know, you can list you know, my parents, um, you know, my, my, my siblings, my um, my mentors, yeah, I've had some some fantastic mentors through the years. Uh, I worked for um, a gentleman named Joe in the I guess it was the late '90s, who, who taught me a lot. We were, you know, we sometimes had a pretty volatile relationship because I was not, not necessarily the best student, but I actually learned a lot from him. So, you know, like, almost like any student, in retrospect, it's a lot easier to tell uh, how good a mentor was, and at the moment, it may not be actually as good. And so. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I have a lot of people like that who I, I've learned from, and I really, really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm inspired by their their willingness to to mentor me. Uh, and I, I try to be a mentor also because I, I feel that I can pass that on. But sometimes being a mentor doesn't work out if the person doesn't want to be mentored. So I've had you know wins and losses there. But then from a public standpoint, you know, I always you know, I, I, I appreciate people who work hard and also try to live a, you know, a good life. In, in itself, um, but it's hard to tell from the outside often you know, how good a life a person is living. If you look at, you know, like Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs or um, you know Bill Gates or you know, any of those guys, you know, I admire their their achievements and what they've done and their hard work. But you know, I've never met most of them on a personal level. So for me to say, well, as a human being, I admire them, I don't really know. Yeah, you know, I, I I might admire them or I might not. Elon Musk, for example, I, you know, I admire his achievements and that sort of a thing. I do um, feel that I'm losing to him because I'm a year older and I'm from the same city and potentially was born in the same hospital. So uh, on the race, um, <laughs> you know, he, he's winning a little bit more there. But at the same time, I'm very, very happy with my life, so I wouldn't change a thing. Um, but yeah, I think also being, being inspired by people to compete, the whole point of a lot of this stuff is, is to find a win condition. And so having people like the Elon Musks out there doing as great as they are, shows that you know i can do that too and so i you know it gives you a reason to keep on working and keep on playing the game yeah it's a good driver so as far as uh thank you for going in on a personal level and and talking to us about you know all those different questions we ask sometimes a little personal but it's good it's good to get to know you at that level um so 
We do have a lot of listeners that are very excited about XYO, um, and they follow it quite a bit. Um, what would you like to update us on as to what's going on maybe right now? Well, so um, we're kind of transitioning into our 2019 uh, roadmap, and that's something which we're going to be announcing a lot more details about that uh, in early February. So February 2nd, we have an all-hands meeting um, event for our employees where we're going to be unveiling all of our roadmap plans for the year. Um, a lot of it is a, a little bit of a shift to um, more focus and uh, more of a, of a completion-based system as opposed to last year, we had a lot of proof of concepts. We showed a lot of things were possible. A lot of things were cool, but we need to actually now uh, put our our completionist hat on and make sure we have five star products that have proper documentation. It's easy for people to use. How do they set up their their devices? How do they set up their own nodes and those sorts of things? So we're really trying to transition into you know, a 2.0 era of. XYO that is much more of a complete product and a complete experience as opposed to uh, a smattering of you know, really cool technological you know, things and white papers and concepts that are proven out but not not consumable by many people out there. So really you know, having our supporters be able to much more actively engage with our system and ourselves, I think, will be the outcome this year. Okay. So is um now i know we have the the tracking devices the sentinels and things like that and people are are getting those what kind of feedback are you getting from from that uh release of the hardware well probably the biggest feedback is um you know, what, what do i do with this and you know there isn't enough to do with it yet right so that's you know the xbio 2.0 um besides the ios version of the app that we're going to have in there there's going to be a new firmware for the um, the, the small devices, you know, which uh, we call it the Sentinel X firmware, basically. So it'll be able to do full-on uh, proof of, of uh, or bound witness and proof of, of origin chains on the actual uh, small devices, and um, we'll also be, be releasing quite a few new features in the XYO app itself that will be able to show you more of what's going on and how to position them and how to you know, get the, the the main thing there. And one of our goals as a company is to, to help people be part of the, the community and gather as much data and interact as much as possible. Because really, to me, the, the, the mission here at large is it's a group mission to be able to instrument the world. And it's it almost like uh, I have compared it to study at home. But instead of a study at home that's, that's facing out to, the, to space, it's a study at home that's kind of facing back to Earth, and we want to be able to have that same level of analysis and data collection, but about ourselves. Which, you know, in a weird sort of way, kind of, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a privacy advocate. I'm a almost, I'm a um, transparency advocate, for lack of a better term. So uh, it kind of blends into that, where I, I think that the more data and the more transparency we have on not only ourselves, but our government, our larger companies, that sort of thing. It's not a bad thing. So it starts off with being able to just see what's going on in the world. So um, that's really, really where I think a lot of people are going to be able to, to you know, appreciate what we're doing, and they're going to be able to be part of that experience and have a UI where they can see that actually working. Uh, so that's really what people want. They want to be able to be part of that 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 voyage and be able to use the devices that they have and see how it's working for that and also get the rewards. There are you know, the, the XYO rewards and the crypto portion of it as well. So all those things uh, we're going to be releasing pretty soon uh, in, a, in a way that's much more structured and much more 
easy to use. Right. I think I see, um, you know, a lot of people when I look at the different XYO um, links where people talk uh, on uh, Telegram, Twitter, Facebook and stuff like that. Um, and then even in some of the responses, the, people are very interested in making money. How do am I going to make money? And I don't think they fully have grasped that, you know, that they're in on the ground floor and that um, there are actual uh, companies that are looking into to utilizing this, um, to my understanding. Is that correct? Yeah, we have we have a, a lot of uh, partnerships that we've struck up and people we've been, been speaking to. So I'd say that the the most interesting part of our system that most of those enterprises are are looking at, where um, to be for some great revenue generation opportunities for us, is the uh, audit trail portion of our system. So if you just take the proof of origin uh, blocks and the bound witness things. You can apply that to many, many industrial and commercial use cases. So, for example, whether it's um, it's escrow services or it's logistics systems, where being able to track the origin of something. I was actually speaking to somebody recently talking about, you know, in an extreme case, you can prove that um, a piece of steak that you're eating was actually a free-range cow because you can you know, you use our system as a type of a Fitbit if you put the, the beacon on the cow and you can see you know, how much activity did this cow actually have and then tie that to the chain of origin to see that this cow actually went from farm to slaughterhouse to packaging to store into your plate. So being able to, to certify the origin of, and not just the origin, but the, the creation portion of a product. And you know, in the case of this, it's a steak. Uh, is something which now you see a sticker on it in the store and you believe them that says, oh, this is organic or this is free range, but there's no way for you to know. So that, that transparency of information for that is something which has never been possible before. So there's a whole bunch of uses like that once you start kind of thinking about, well, which things would you want to apply this to? It's very similar for me to to phones you know, and the smartphones. Like we didn't know all these things we wanted to do with smartphones until we had them. I didn't miss having a navigation system on me when I was a kid, I used a Thomas guide and I drove around and I learned the roads. Now, if I don't have my phone with me, I'm lost. So, you know, the, the things it could do wasn't something which I knew it could do until I had it. And that's how I feel our XYO system is. There's so many things we can do with it. And, and you know, as we learn, we can do those things. We're gonna, gonna miss having them once we have them. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's see, what else, what else? Um, do you wanna talk about the satellite launch and? How uh, how that will uh, make the network stronger or anything like that? Sure. So we have a, you know, a couple of different satellite um, initiatives, but let's talk about the one that we call EtherX, which is our own satellite. So the the goal with that is uh, we're going to make a micro satellite, which is a small cube satellite. I think it's about one point three kilograms, which is actually yeah, you know, it's, it's 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 what maybe four times the size of a Raspberry Pi. And the idea of that is you know, we launched that with um, our partner and it goes up with a bunch of other cube satellites and goes into low Earth orbit. And at low Earth orbit, it has the ability to communicate back to, to ground radios. And those ground radios can be um, bridges and sentinels as well. So uh, what it does effectively is you have a, um, a moving but logically stationary device in the system that has very high value. So it's kind of equivalent to a refrigerator. So if I have a refrigerator that's always there and people walk past it at the office over and over and over again, and it has all these, these different uh, bound witnesses and proof of origins that it's done, 
the value it, um, it, it has generated is very high. However, the downside is it's only one place. The refrigerator doesn't move. Now, for the ones that move, like your phone, you know, the value is lower because you don't quite know where they are and you can't quite predict where they are. So a satellite's a combination of those two. So you have something that is very predictable because a satellite's orbit doesn't change and it's very difficult for a person to, to move it or to do anything to it physically. So you have effectively a, a constant sentinel, kind of like a refrigerator would be, yet it actually moves around the planet. So it's a moving yet constant sentinel, which is a lot different than either the actual refrigerator or the phone in our system. So it adds a third type of, of device, and it's really, really good for calibration and for certainty. Yeah, you can triangulate. Um, interestingly, I... Um, do engineering and have been in and out of quite a bit of hospitals. And uh, there's a lot of tracking for um, beds, for wheelchairs, for specialty equipment, bed extenders. There's also a lot of monitoring of uh, temperatures in uh, refrigerators. You can imagine some of these vaccines cost uh, a refrigerator full of them can be a million dollars and they need to track this. Um, and I'm also aware that a company that does this has uh, financially made a bunch of foolish decisions, uh, as far as I'm aware, and run themselves into the ground. So uh, th I think the name of the company was Aware Point or Aware Health. So I don't know if that's a tip for your company or not, but uh, I, I see a, a, a availability to enter the market there. Yeah, we'll definitely take a note of that one. I think uh, Larry just wrote it down so we could uh, research that. So that use case actually is a very good use case you bring up there where um, like uh, medicine that needs to have stayed cold from after it was produced. Um, right now, we're usually you know that it was cold when it was produced because it, that's what the, what the factory says, and you know it's cold right now because you can check the temperature in your refrigerator. But how do you know for sure that it stayed cold for the periods between that? So um, it's possible that it got warm at some point in time two days ago or three days ago or while it was shipped. The, the vaccine or the medicine no longer functions properly, but now it's cold in the refrigerator. They look at it and they say it's cold, so they still inject it into somebody. So that's like a, a, a difficulty for a lot of current situations. I usually use ice cream as the example because you get the gooey ice cream that melted somewhere along the line, but the medicine one's much more important from a, a personal safety standpoint. So being able to have um, unchangeable ledgers that show that something maintained a certain temperature or a certain heuristic over a period of time is hugely valuable for any of those supply chains. And you know, medicine is, is a huge target for us as well. Yeah. Good, good. Um, let's see here. What else? What else? You know, um, I have a few, like, closing questions. So whatever else you want to tell us about XYO, if you want to go in, I don't know what the most uh, asked questions are. Most asked questions I get are about the uh, how do I make money, which you kind of talked about that's up and coming. Um, and then also people have a little bit of difficulty understanding um, all the different pieces, the sentinels, the dividers, the bridges, the, you know, and all the pieces. If that's something you'd like to have time to explain a little bit, I think people would appreciate that. Okay, so um, let me go, go on the second one first, the, uh, the different parts that are there. Um, the way I, I often try to, to talk to people about that is it's kind of similar to a human body. So if you think about it from the standpoint, you have the sentinels are kind of your senses. So, you know, your fingers for touching or your ears for hearing or your eyes for seeing. Our current uh, sentinels are primarily based on just proximity. So they can detect how far away another sentinel is. 
but we can also add other senses, you know, say it's a noise sensor or a, um, a light sensor or any of those things. So it's basically, it's the senses portion of the system. And then the bridge is the equivalent of your nervous system. So it's the nerves that take those messages, those, those um, things that you've measured in the world somewhere to uh, the archivist, which is your brain. So if you have a nerve going down your arm that takes the, sens the sensory input and sends it to your brain, um, that's, that's our bridges, as we call it. And then the archivist is the portion of your brain that's memory. It stores all the different things that you have. But kind of like a human memory, you can't just store everything. So what a human brain does is it will hash and it will compress and it will, so that's why you kind of forget things from when you were a child. Like, you know, it was much clearer when you were a child and now you still remember it, but it's a little more murky. It's kind of like, like adding compression to a JPEG over and over and over again. So it's still there. And so our archivists do the same thing. They try to remove the, the data which we don't need or they try to compress the data and store as much as, as possible that they can from a practical standpoint. And even in some cases, we're gonna be using AI to be able to distill some of that data into metadata that's, that's valuable and then we can throw away the, the raw data potentially. And so that's the memory portion of it. And then the, um, the diviner is the other half of your brain, which is the cognitive part of your brain where you actually process those things. So when you think and you say, well, I wanna take my memories and I wanna make a decision is what your brain does, as a human at least. You know, I don't think necessarily uh, you know, a mouse brain can do that quite as much. They still decide go left or go right in the maze to get the cheese, but the more advanced a person's uh, or a, a, a decision-making brain is, the more answers it can do. So we're in many ways, it's kind of looking at nature and reproducing that same system of senses to nerves, to memory, to cognitive processing. Uh, and then, of course, the output part of actually doing something with that answer is really up to the person with their smart contract or with the results from the API. So we kind of stop at the at the processing portion of it. So I, I really compare it to that same human um, data flow, for lack of a better term, that goes on in a human's body. And now, the other question as far as how you know, making money, now people often ask, like, uh, on the equity side, well, how long until we go public or how long until we can make money off this, that sort of thing. So the first thing is obviously I can't talk about any future looking statements because the SEC will yell at me, even though they're closed right now. Um, <laughs> I still can't say it because um, yeah, they'll find out and they'll be, oh, well, you, you promised this. Of course. So I can't Got talk it. about any, any sort of absolute terms. However, the, the thing I think people should remember is that the, the way that you increase the value of something, whether it's tokens or it's, it's um, equity or anything, is you actually build something of substance. So if we have a system that actually does really cool things, that has a lot of demand and people want to use it, it will it'll naturally increase in value. So it's kind of like the entrepreneurial experience I was talking about before. If you're only focused on the goal and you're not focused on the voyage, you won't actually successfully get to the goal. So if all we did, and I think some of the crypto companies out there do this, all they do is they focus on the goal, which for them might be you know raising token value or raising you know, equity value or whatever it is, but they don't actually focus on why we're doing what we're doing in the first place. We really want to have a world that's instrumented with all of our sentinels and can collect all this data and answer all these questions and provide real value for people who use it. If we accomplish that, the making the money part will just come naturally. So I don't personally worry about the making the money part because I feel that if I worry about the important things, which is actually producing what we want to produce, the making the money part will just kind of take care of itself. Yeah, I've, I've responded to a lot of people like, hey, didn't you do your research? You know, this is these shares. Did you do your research on these shares? You, you couldn't have got in on the ground floor of a company 
um, unless you have millions of dollars and you make, you know, a quarter of a million a year on top of it as a certified investor. So you had the opportunity to get in on the ground floor. And these these are the rules. And, you know, do you even know what a ground floor is? You know, and then with the tokens and things, OK, they were just put out on a, on an exchange for U.S. residents in only, you know, what, a few weeks, a month ago. And it doesn't happen overnight. This is a building a company. It's building, you know, if you follow, if you're going to invest in a company, you know, more than $50 and you're actually going to invest in it, then shouldn't you know something about it? Shouldn't you know where they're at on their roadmap? And that's how I respond to people like, well, look at what they've done. They're already doing a lot more than 90% uh, of any other cryptocurrencies out there. They have hardware. They, they're working on all these things. And um, that should put you, you know, that should raise your eyes to go, okay, let's find out what this is about. And then find out where they're at on the roadmap so that you know what to expect. You, If you don't have an exit plan when you invest, at least some idea, then you need to go back and do some research as an investor. Um, that's what I tell people because I do respond to comments that I see. And, um, you know, I, I would just tell them, wait a few years, you know, be patient and watch the progress and stay involved with the community. That's what I do. <laughs> well, I, I completely agree with that. I think that's very, very good advice. So, uh, one thing I would add also is me as an investor, because I've also been a, an angel investor in companies, um, one of my first rules for investing, whether it's investing in a company or it's um, you know, in buying things that might become worth more in the future is I only invest in stuff or buy things that um, I think will appreciate because I actually like those things. So I only invest in companies that I actually think are doing things that I you know, want to see get accomplished. That they're actually going to produce something of value or I don't just do it because I look at it and be like, oh, it's a good chance a person's going to make some money off that. So I actually believe in the cause or believe in the purpose for what they're, they're actually working on. And so that makes it also so I can, I can help them more easily as a mentor. I can be more involved in that. And the, you know, the equivalent of that in a more simple standpoint is if a person buys a comic book because someone told them it's going to become worth more in the future, then you don't enjoy the comic book at all. There's no, the, the voyage is just all I'm doing is waiting for it to go up in value. Where if you buy a comic book because you want to read it and it's a comic book of a superhero that you really, really like, even if it doesn't go up in value, you're still going to enjoy the actual thing that you bought. So, so buying, buying things for the sake of making money by itself, to me, is something I don't think a person should do. Yeah, you, sh you shouldn't make dumb investments, obviously. You should buy things which you think are going to make money, but you should also make sure you buy things that you believe in. So that's why I think a lot of people invested in Tesla, because uh, I invested in Tesla you know, years ago and you know, made some money off that. But at the same time, I wanted to support something which is going to make electric cars and make the world better. Um, I, I don't have any stock in Philip Morris. Well, they probably could, probably could have made money buying Philip Morris stock. Not my thing, though. I don't believe in Philip Morris. Yeah, it's just so to me, using your own internal guiding principles as what you invest in and what you're interested in and what you're going to enjoy is to me a very, very important part of investing as well. Yeah, if you are, if you're like the whole Go Lambo thing that I see in in the Bitcoin cryptocurrency community, um, you know. I do a thing in my presentation where I show a Go Lambo guy with his Lambo and then I show a lamb with a bow on and I tell him, you know, I'm a hill person. For me, that's, it's my family, you know, it's a, a lamb and a bow for my little daughter to, to play with and, and take care of. If you don't really know what's important in your life and you try to, um, and you're not finding a level of happiness with that and you're trying to find happiness in making it, getting rich overnight, 
you're probably going to, because you didn't make good decisions to be more happier in life, you're probably not going to make good decisions investing either. And you need to, you need to take a step back and, and, you know, I'd be I'd, a little bold with people and do a little work on yourself, you know, and before you do that, or you will not, you will not be successful. I can personally guarantee it. But uh, yeah, good advice. I appreciate that. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share about the XYO network? Um, Oh, there's not that much more right now. I think yeah, people should tune in to our um, our updates in early February when we're going to release our, our roadmap. We're going to have a whole bunch of content that's going to come out then. And then obviously also when XYO 2.0 uh, comes out uh, in Q1, that's going to be a huge launch for us and uh, a lot of exciting stuff about that. So you know, I don't want to spoil some of those surprises right now, but definitely people should stay tuned into those because I think there's a lot of really, really good stuff coming out. Yeah, definitely get on the social media and and be a part of that. So, back to some more personal questions. Um, when it's all said and done, <laughs> what would you like to be remembered for most? Um, yeah, I think the, the as thing a person, I, as a person, um, you know, making a difference. I, I kind of look at at this is kind of why I'm a very data centric person. I, I look at at the world as a giant network of of nodes with data in them. So basically, humans are nodes with data in them, and they process that. And that's one of the reasons why we, we mimic that structure for our system. But the same thing can be said for a computer. It's a node with data in it, and it's you know, processing all those different things. And uh, my, my effect and my influence on this giant shared neural network, for lack of a better term, if you think about the whole world as this intertwined neural network, my well, my effect on that, I think, is what I want to be remembered for. And obviously, I would prefer for it to be remembered as a positive effect, because making a, a negative effect on that, that uh, network is a lot easier than making a positive effect. So uh, whatever positive effect I had on, on that system at large, which is you know, the world, uh, is what I want to be remembered for. That's why I actually think that XBIO and what we're doing here is something I've been passionate about for 10 years. I've been working on this concept of, it's called Webble before, you know, the idea of a uh, a cluster of metadata with links to other things. To me, I'm very, very, very passionate about that. So if I can make a difference on that front, that's what I want to be remembered for. You know, there was another question I forgot to ask. Um, is Do you have any other hobbies besides computers and, and XYO and things like that? Do you have any other passions that uh, you do, you know, when you have downtime that you can share with us? Not really. Uh, and I play with old computers. I, I've written a couple of emulators and stuff like that. Um, I have a couple of great kids and a wife, so I guess some, some family time and that sort of thing. But like I said earlier, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I actually get to go every, every day to work and do my hobbies, which is writing cool software and, and having fun. So I go home at night often and I sit there you know, with my laptop and I work on stuff for work because you know, this, this is my hobby. Um, I found this out after I... Um, left my previous company and exited there, and I took, I think, seven months off. And I, I didn't really have to work again, necessarily. But I found that, you know, I don't do anything. I don't play golf. I don't I do not do other things. I just love what I do. And so let's go back and, you know, do it again. So I can yeah. appreciate that. All right, any other closing thoughts? Uh, not really. So thank you very much for having me on. It's been you know, a great discussion. I really, really appreciate the, uh, the interview. And, you know, it was you know, great talking to you. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. We definitely wanted to get a, a different kind of interview instead of just go over the same old, same old, um, get to know you a little bit. And um, 
look forward to um, talking with you again. Uh, anytime you guys have any news or anything you'd like to share, please reach out to me. I'm sorry for the technological um, weaknesses on my part for getting this together. So um, thank you for your patience and, and thanks to um, Larry also for his patience and um, have a great day. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a good day. All right. Well, I'm your host. Um, you got to enjoy that interview. Um, tune in again. Remember, this isn't financial uh, advice. I'm not an advisor of any kind. Um, do your own research. Um, we feel that uh, cryptocurrency is speculative and can you can lose your money, but we also feel there's an opportunity to... How the economic machine works 